So the first letter of Corinthians, chapter 12, verses 12. Just as a body, though one, has many parts, but all its many parts form one body, so it is with Christ. For we were all baptized by one spirit, so as to form one body, whether Jews or Gentiles, slave or free, and we were all given the one spirit to drink. And so the body is not made up of one part, but of many. Now, if the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I do not belong to the body, it would not, for that reason, stop being part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body, it would not, for that reason, stop being part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But in fact, God has placed the parts in the body every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. If they were all one part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, but one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you, and the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. On the contrary, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And the parts that we think are less honorable, we treat with special honor, and the parts that are unpresentable are treated with special modesty, while our presentable parts need no special treatment. But God has put the body together, giving greater honor to the parts that lacked it, so that there should be no division in the body, but that its parts should have equal concern for each other. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning, church. Yeah, if you don't know me, Sue said, I'm Charlie. I'm one of the interns here. I've been here for just around a, around a year now. So if you haven't seen me, come say hi. Um, I may have seen you. So if I don't know you, come say hi to me um, afterwards. Now I want you to picture, you know, we've been looking at the body of Christ and the church. So I want you to picture a human body for me. You know, we've all know what one looks like. Our bodies are pretty complex things. You know, I'm not, I'm not a scientist, obviously, um, but our bodies are made up of cells and organs that work together to keep us alive. Our hearts pump away to keep blood throwing, flow, flowing through our veins. You know, our lungs retract in and out to fill us up with oxygen. Our nerves stimulate our muscles to move and stretch and shift as directed by our brain. Our bodies are so complex as things in our mind. There are so many parts of the human body, yet each organ is vital to how we live our lives, vital to us living and moving. Paul writes in verse 12, just as one body, though one has many parts, but all its many parts form one body, so it is with Christ. So just think about that image for a moment. Now, I hope you had breakfast this morning because I've got a, another picture that might make you a little bit hungry. So picture the best homemade cake that you can. I know we have a lot of really talented bakers in our congregation, so maybe picture something someone has baked for you. I mean, my favorite cake is carrot cake, so I'm picturing a lovely carrot cake over here. So just imagine this cake over there. God gave us eyes to see this cake, sat on this imaginary table over there. 
he gave us a nose to smell the lovely cake over there. He gave us feet to walk across to this cake, and then he gave us hands to inspect this cake. You know, I really like this cake. And he gave us these hands to pick it up, and teeth to take this lovely big bite of this cake. And we can enjoy its taste and flavour. And he gave us stomachs to digest the cake, and you know, we know how it goes from there. <laughs> Each part of our body was designed with a specific purpose in mind. You know, do we have to sit and will our bodies to digest food? Or concentrate so we can heal a bruise? No, God designed our bodies to simply work. He gave us each a purpose, a God-given purpose that makes it a divine purpose. And the same is true for us as the body of Christ, as the church. Because as Paul writes in Ephesians verse, chapter 2, verse 10, we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. So from the ends of our hair to the tips of our toes, each one of us was created in Christ to do good. God prepared us in advance for the very things we are called to do today. To serve, to love, and to do good in his name. You know, but sometimes it might not feel like we were prepared in advance. You know, it's, it can feel like our body's not fit for this divine purpose that they are made for. You know, things break down, we can injure ourselves, and we can catch illnesses as well. You know, while the purposes of our hands or our ears might be obvious by their design, for us as human beings as a whole, our design, our purpose, is a lot more complex than maybe just a simple mechanism of muscle and bone. We're emotional beings. We can bicker, we can love, and we can fail to understand each other, and let alone the feelings of others. Our overall purpose as Christians is, of course, to know Jesus, his love, and to make his love known to others. But there, I believe there's this more individual sense of purpose in each of our hearts that comes that comes with being a Christian, that the Holy Spirit longs to call forth from each of us. For us as human beings, our individual purposes might not be as obvious, though. Proverbs uh, chapter 20, verse 5, describes the purposes of a person's heart as being like deep waters. So our purposes, then, are a mystery to most of us almost unfathomable, like he says, in the volume of the water in the sea, so deep and hard to understand. Our spiritual calling then, where we fit into the body of Christ, the church, is not going to be easy for us to find. So how do we find that? It continues to say in Proverbs that the one who has insight draws our purposes out. Then Paul writes in Corinthians verse 13, for we were all baptized by one spirit as to form one body, whether Jews, Gentiles, slave or free, and we were all given one spirit to drink. It was for a very good reason, I think, that Paul used the word baptize in this verse. He said, one spirit baptizes us and makes us one body. Paul understood that since we were all baptized with the Holy Spirit to form this one body, that we no longer need to search in vain for purpose we can find that purpose, that God-given purpose that is hidden in the deep waters, as it says in Proverbs. As we are baptized, as we go down 
into the waters with the Spirit. As we come up, he draws out our new purpose in him with us. As we're baptised, we can know we have a new purpose in the body of Christ. Being a part of the body of the church is our purpose as followers of Jesus. It doesn't matter what that might look like. Preaching, apostles, teachers, healers, prophets, all have a part to play in the body of Christ, no greater than the other. So that's my first thing, purpose. In the body of Christ, each one of us has a purpose. But significance in the family of God is not determined by our gifts. Paul writes in verse 14, even so the body is not made up of one part, but of many. Now if the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I don't belong to the body, it would not for that reason stop being part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I don't belong to the body, it would not for that reason stop being part of the body either. Paul is highlighting those in the church that look at their gifts and the gifts of others and begin to envy that those have over there. You know, my gifts don't put me here. No one knows my gifts. I wish I had the gifts of that person there. I wish I was like them. You know, this highlights the temptation for us to turn our gifts into another area of comparison. You know, we can sit and desire the gifts of others. Maybe it gives them more influence. You know, maybe it just seems more out there, or maybe it just sits better with you what they're doing. Paul is calling out the church for division over envy. And these are things that the early church was guilty of, that we are still guilty of today, and I'm still guilty of as well. Now, this feeling can cause us as the body of church to neglect the gifts and the things that God has given us and he wants us to use for the church. And when that happens, when we fail to see God working in the way he desires to, we won't be able to contribute to the church or the body of Christ that God intended. I've experienced this recently in my own life as well, this feeling. So a few weeks ago, the student team here at Christ Church and me and maybe 20 or so students went to this big conference wildfires over in the east of England and we were all sat listening to this you know amazing speakers and worship and it was all just so big it was so just such great to be a part of but I sat and listened to one of these speakers from across the world and as I was sat listening to them I noticed that this guy he was holding the audience you know he was drawing attention to himself and there were people praying for each other as he spoke, and the musicians were playing. People were called to mission and to start new ministries, and I could feel God moving in that big tent where we were. But as I looked at the stage, as I looked up at that person speaking, I had this thought in my mind that I wish, you know, maybe I wish I could be more like him. I wish God could move in him the way he moves in me. Moving me the way he moves in him, sorry. <laughs> One way around. It's definitely not a bad thing to have Christian mentors, you know, people who came before us to look up to, to have an example of. And that's why we as a church believe in the succession of apostles, generations of Christian leaders that came before us to follow. But in that moment, as I looked up at that speaker, I had a bit of a bit of a problem. As I was writing this talk, I realized 
I was thinking about what God has called me to, you know, what that looks like. And I realized I had a very specific vision in mind of what that would be. Why would God not work in me the same way he works in that person there? That's something I struggled with for a while in the early days of my faith that resurfaced in that moment. But I know that God has something different planned for that person than he does for me. But maybe you've had that same struggle with comparison. Maybe you've had something different that stops you from seeing your place in the body of Christ. You know, maybe you feel weary. Perhaps you have resigned yourself to the role you have played for years in the church and can't picture yourself anywhere else. You know, whatever that looks like, whatever that thing is that's stopping you from fitting into the body of Christ. As a church, we can get so focused on how God is working through others that we forget that he desires to work in us. We can get our blinders on like a horse in a race, focus on other places rather than where God has put us. You know, we can miss, perhaps, God calling us away from one race and into another. Paul wants us to bring our own attention back to our own spiritual lives, our own gifts from God, our own purpose in his church. So that means we can't say things like Paul describes in verse 17 and 18. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But in fact, God has placed the parts in the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. Each of us has unique gifts, unique passions, and unique personalities. All of us relate to the world differently, see the world differently, and that comes from our own individual experiences. But we need each other and each other's gifts. There is this natural diversity that Sue actually mentioned earlier, which I was quite happy about. There's this natural diversity in the body of Christ, in the church. And so, you know, that's my second thing. I believe that the body of Christ thrives on this diversity. The church is not a factory to produce uniform Christians. Now, this is what a Christian looks like. There is no default Christian. If everyone in the church was meant to look the same, you know, I don't think Paul or the apostles would have had much success. They were very different people, lots of differences, but they all worked together despite that. We know while there are, of course, qualities the Holy Spirit wishes to bring out in us to make us more Christ-like, but in that journey, each of us has a unique part and a unique part to play in the body of Christ. That's why Paul writes in Galatians 2.20, I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. Christ in us, Christ in each and every one of us. Although through our faith in Christ, we are sanctified and made more Christ-like, we are no less individual than being God created us to be. In fact, we become more like an individual, more like that purpose God designed, that person God designed us to be when we follow Jesus. 
Not one Christian, not one person is the same. We are all unique and God designed the church to thrive upon our differences. Our diversity is what makes us as the church such a beautiful thing. Young, old, male, female, those who are shy and those who are outgoing. We need each other as that is how God designed the church to be. So we come together not as people simply with common interests or similarities, but we come together as people who have differences, people who are different. As a church, of course, we come together with a common cause to know Jesus' love and to make his love known to others. But what makes the body of Christ so beautiful and what makes it work is not our similarities, but our diversity. God designed the church to be dependent upon our differences. As I mentioned earlier, we can see this diversity in the apostles of Jesus. Simple fisherman, a tax collector, a zealot. Matthew would have been despised by his fellow Jews for collecting taxes for the Roman occupiers, especially by a zealous Orthodox Jew like Simon the Zealot, if his name is correct. And we can see this not only just in the apostles of Jesus, but throughout the whole New Testament. In the early church, if we pull out Paul's letters, we see a vast array of people from different walks of life mentioned. Jews, Gentiles, Greeks, Ethiopians, runaway slaves, and female deacons. The church was far from uniform in its makeup of people. But Paul describes the church as one body, whether Jew or Gentile, slave or free, we were all given one spirit to drink. So how can a people we know so who are so disparate and so misguided, how can we be a functioning body? Paul has already said it. We were all given one spirit to drink. So without the Holy Spirit gathering amongst us as the church, we are no more united, perhaps, than the House of Commons. Though I want to point out that there is a difference between a gathering and an assembly of people. Picture for a moment a building site. It's bare and barren before the workers arrive. It's an empty space, gravel and dirt. There's a pile of bricks in one corner and a blueprint on a table in the other. All the pieces are there, but the work hasn't yet begun. Without someone to assemble all these pieces into what's written on the blueprint, all these things, though they serve a purpose, are essentially useless. I'm sure you see you can see what I'm getting at here, but it's the same with the body of Christ, the church. We need the Holy Spirit moving amongst us, assembling us to be disciples of Jesus, else we are working in vain. Paul writes that, we, writes that it is by the Spirit we are baptised into one body. The body of Christ then is unified only by the Spirit. Without it moving in us, we are not the church. In verse 22, Paul talks about how we see other members of this body. On the contrary, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. 
and the parts that we think are less honourable, we treat with special honour. And the parts that are unpresentable are treated with special modesty. While our presentable parts need no special treatment. But God has put the body together, giving greater honour to the parts that lacked it. What Paul is suggesting here to us as a church is that we don't often follow this. I find it easier to picture what he's describing here as a level of where we should be as a unified church. Parts of the, parts of the body that seem weaker, maybe those who are new to faith or struggling in their journey, are considered to be down here. Whereas those people who have mature Christians who are confident in their faith and have known Jesus for many years are considered to be up here. But in Paul's vision for the church that he says in these verses, we should all be brought down to one level. One church moving together towards the goal of knowing Christ and making him known to others. So that in verse 25, there should be no division in the body, but that its parts should have equal concern for each other. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honoured, every part rejoices with it. What a beautiful vision for us as the church to picture. Paul's vision for the church in Corinth is no less applicable to us today as it was 2,000 years ago. A vision of a church with no division. A church that can not only rejoice together, but suffer together as well. You know, no division does not mean that we are all the same, but that we embrace and work through these differences. When we embrace that all of us have unique God-given gifts and work as one as the Spirit intended, I am convinced that Jesus is shown to the world through that. Though we are all human, each one of us was designed for God's purpose. Though we're all different, God uses our diversity to grow his church and through the Spirit moving in us, we are united in our diversity to be this body of Christ. Just as God first breathed his Spirit into the body of Adam to give him life and purpose, today God does the same. He breathes his Spirit into us to become the body of Christ so we can live out our lives for his glory. Amen.